Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. So if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in a couple different places. Um, Funny enough, we're going to start in James 5, which we just talked about a few weeks ago. So if you feel deja vu, I had felt it in preparation for today. So it's, it's totally okay, but we're going to be in James 5 a little bit. Uh, we're going to read a verse or two there, and then we'll, we'll kind of bounce around. So don't be stressed if you can't follow. We'll have it on the screen. Uh, but today and over the last, you know, last week, this week, next week, it's a little more topical, so the teaching itself is not typically going verse by verse like we often do, which we will be continuing to start again in a couple weeks as we go through the Gospel of John until Easter of next year. So really excited about that. Uh, but until then, I want to narrow down... On today, we'd mentioned core, some people mentioned confession, and, uh, and I just want to get to the crux of today. Today is about what it means to follow Jesus in community. Now, you know, there's a lot of people uh, that are plagued with this belief in America that you can just do Jesus on your own, like you don't need people. And most of that is because they've experienced people, you know, and and they've burned them or said mean things or lied about something or slandered or gossiped or whatever, abused them. There's legitimate reasons for people to feel that experience. And so for them, they just see it far easier to just say, you know what, I'm going to pick what I want and and not open myself up to this other, these other areas. And that way I can still love Jesus as a person, but not have to deal with the potential damage that could be done to me if I place myself uh, around these other sinners, right? And let them take advantage of me. And you know what? It's a very valid thinking. And uh, it's been thinking for several hundreds of years. However, we have never been more individualized as a society than today and what will be tomorrow. And that's just America. It's just what we live in, right? It's an individualistic society. We don't think of a career as how, how I can like, contribute to society. We first think about how can I do what, is, what God's calling me to do. How can I take what I've been given in my personality and do what I want and hopefully make good money so that I can do things I want to do, right? That's how we think. And we oftentimes think about that in in Scripture and in confession as well. Even when we confess sin, if we do, which is very rare except in core groups, we find ourselves confessing sin that we have committed. But when we start to talk about societal and generational sin and cultural sin and things like that, our, our brains are just blown. Because we can't even get outside of ourselves to think about a world in which we live where people are doing things that are not okay, and we are a part of that problem. And so today, as we talk about confession, we talk about sin, we talk about community, the whole point of community is is Jesus' decision in what it means to follow him. Meaning the community and following Jesus are inseparable. You can't just follow Jesus and not follow his people. The same way that he says... I am the groom and my, my wife, the bride, is the church. I don't know about you, but if you said, hey, Trey, I really like hanging out with you, but I, I don't want to be around your wife and I can't stand her, me and you would not be good friends. Sorry to say. Because I love my wife. And if you don't want to be around my wife, then you're, that's part of me. So, like, you can go chill with someone else, right? But that's exactly what Jesus says about his people. Now, the problem is his people, me and you, are messy. We make terrible mistakes we hurt people, we lie, we slander. 
right? We do all these things. And so there's this tension of like, okay, Jesus, I get that that's your wife and I get that you love her, but like I don't want to love her because sometimes she sucks and she's like brutal and it's hard to be around her. And the beautiful thing about the church is we know that as we say that about them, we are also part of the problem because we are also the church. And thank God that Jesus loves us as his wife. And so the tension here causes us to just, like I said, to isolate, to think individualistically. And that's an extreme danger, especially in the West, of a church and a culture and a country that doesn't want other people to speak into your truth, right? And if they do, they're dangerous or toxic. And honestly, like, we, we as a church have, have, have really crushed this in a lot of ways, like, have really stamped down that reality. But it causes difficulty. It causes people to have to discern this person speaking to my life, like, is this valid? Is this real? Are they being abusive, manipulative, or are they being edifying? Are they encouraging me? Are they rebuking me from a path that is wrong? And that's part of the beauty and, and the mess of church, is we have to discern that as leaders, as core groups, as a body of believers. But as we start to center on this idea of community, the point of community is to, to follow Jesus well. And the point of following Jesus is not about just doing right things or being a better person. It is about transformation, right? Like, that is what we're here for. Okay? If you leave here 30 years from now, let's just say you're in Columbus for 30 years, or even if you're here for a year, you're here for a week and you're just passing by. Like Our goal is in this community, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week and throughout our lives, helps you to become transformed into the image of Christ. Right? That's the point. So when you're a little bit older, you just look a little bit more like Jesus, you understand his way a little bit deeper, you have relationships that honor Jesus a little bit deeper, right? you may be a little more generous, you're more loving, Like that's the point. If you were all exactly where you are now in five years here, we have failed. And so the point is transformation, and God creates this community around us being, yes, individually trans- transformed, but also communally transformed. That's the whole point of the Old Testament is this, this prototypical group of humanity called the Israelites that God says, I'm going to show you how to be human on earth together. He doesn't say, like, you go over there, and you go over there, and you do your own thing, and you just, you know, it's like Job. He's just kind of by himself, right? And he's saying, no, like, all of you, are going to do this together. And part of this is a communal effort. And, and what has been part of this community process for hundreds of years is confession. It is the idea of confession. Now, if you grew up Catholic, maybe even Lutheran, you've practiced this in some component. Uh, you've probably practiced it in a really terrible way, as, uh, as uh, Shana was mentioning, thinking about the idea of just like confessing your sins and feeling terrible about yourself. That is not like the point of confession, which I will get to. Um, but maybe you've grown up that way, and you were Catholic, and you had to go into the little thing and say your sins before the priest, and they had to like act like they didn't know you, right? Even though they could totally tell by your voice who you were and what you did, and right, and then hold that against you, and all that good stuff, right? But confession has been done for hundreds of years. It has been. It's only in the, re- the, the past maybe 150 years that confession has really dropped on the wayside, and it makes sense because confession is fighting against an indiv- individualistic, positive thinking, self-made self, right? Why would you go tell someone what you're bad at or what you're struggling with or what your sins are? How is that supposed to promote, you know, uh, becoming made, right? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. And then you add another layer of letting people in on that. And how am I supposed to trust the fact that people aren't going to take advantage of this? Or people aren't going to make me feel guilty or people aren't going to play angles or abuse me because of the things that I'm being vulnerable in. So I don't know about you. There's probably a pretty good reason that we haven't been doing this uh, in a while or that it's not modeled. But here's, I, w- I want to give you a quick just shotgun of what confession is and what confession is not. Confession, the point of it is stepping into freedom and joy. 
That's the, that's the main point of confession because confession and what it's doing is it is allowing you to, to be in right relationship with Jesus. That's the point. Now, first confession, which is a Catholic term, let's not pretend I'm not using the, that language, but if you're, you're confessing for the first time to the Lord, you would acknowledge that as like repentance, right? Coming to Jesus, a belief in salvation in Jesus. The point of that is putting yourself in right relationship with the Lord. It is acknowledging what Jesus has done in your life, freeing you of your sins, and allowing you to be in perfect presence with God because God the Father sees Jesus as you instead of seeing you in your sin, right? That's the point of confession as, as the start. But a culture of confession is continually freeing ourselves from the bondage of slavery that we continually ensnare ourselves in. So confession, the, the point of focus is stepping into freedom and joy. The next thing is confession is about repositioning our hearts to a Savior and a Lord that we need each day. There's two components there, Savior and Lord. Some people like the Savior piece and throw away the Lord piece, meaning I love what you do for me, but I don't want to do anything for you, and I don't really want to follow you as an authoritative person. Or some of us go the other way, and we live like Pharisees, and we follow the rules, but we have no sense of just saving and under grace in our lives that we needed. But confession beautifully pokes through both of those the third thing, confession is about humbling ourselves from ourselves. Uh, if you've ever read the definition of narcissism, confession is the best antidote of that. However, if you're really narcissist, you can't even have the ability to confess because you just can't see anything wrong with yourself. That's a whole other issue. Uh, but that, that's the point of confession is it's freeing ourselves from ourselves. What if my true self is actually not good, Right? What if the things that I'm desiring is actually a complex that I've built to survive in such a way the things that I want, which maybe aren't good, right? That means that confession allows us to free ourselves from ourselves. I think about the, the Lord's Prayer, um, and not the, um, the Lord's Prayer in the Bible, but there's a monastic thing called the, the Jesus Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where you pray this small phrase, and the phrase is, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me in my unbelief. Now, it sounds counterintuitive because you're saying, Jesus, help me in my unbelief of you, right? It sounds silly. Why would you be praying to something that you don't even believe in in that moment, right? But the reality is there's you struggling with even belief in God, asking God for your help. Humbling yourselves from yourselves is one of the most powerful things that we can do, and that's why we just did the litany of humility. And some of those things were stinging, right? You're like, man, that's pretty intense, like, free myself from the desire to be loved? Like, that seems pretty core to humanity. I don't know if I believe that, right? Or to be not honored or not um, consulted, right? These deep things that we desire that have potentially selfish sinful roots. The next thing is acknowledging that we have not met God's ideal, which is powerful. Sin, when you grow up, when it's easily taught in a five-year-old's children's Bible, is you do these things and you don't do these things, right? And if you don't, if you, if you do these bad things, then this is bad, and you have to make it right. It's very transactional. It's very simple, because they're trying to explain to you the theology of sin, homartology, as to a five-year-old. So you're like, give, them, give your Sunday school teachers a pass. Okay, they weren't trying to be mean. They were just trying to simplify it. But sin is, is anything off of God's ideal. It's not just you. Sin, the idea of it is from archery. It's how far sin is the distance from the center to wherever you shoot. So if you shoot a three-point instead of a ten-point bullseye. It's, there's sin. You're like, but I hit the target, right? Like, I got a three. It's like, yeah, but you didn't get a ten. And you're like, well, that's unfair. I'm like, well, that's the point of sin, is it's not God's ideal. So sin then becomes something far greater. And that's okay, because we have a Savior. 
But we shouldn't just act like it's only when we miss the target completely. It is any perversion from God's ideal, which if you're already in your brains now, you're like, oh, that's a lot of sin. Like, that's a lot of sin. I've been hitting the target, but wow, that's a lot of sin. It's also acknowledging and stating that we've not met God's ideal and that we've either done something or damaged, caused damage to God or to others. Now, obviously, God like, is much more powerful than your sin. But sin has consequences not only to yourself but to others. And there's a reality of when you sin, those type of things occur and they hurt other people. Now, sin is not, that is what, or sorry, confession is those things. Confession is not guilt or shame driven. Now, this is important because confession oftentimes, even in the Catholic Church, is typically forced. Like it's something you have to do, practice you engage in. Now, as a core group, I don't know about you, but you're like, this sounds kind of similar. You show up and you've got to confess your sins. And the answer is, yes, you are correct that we do that, and we tell you you have to do that. But we also aren't making you sign up for a core group, and we're also being very clear about what you're signing up for. There's no, uh, there's no hiding there. It's the first letter of our acronym. But it is not guilt and shame-driven. What I mean by that is when you confess sin, you start to learn in a community of people, man, this is not about me feeling terrible about myself, but it's me realizing how much I need Jesus. And there's an extreme difference there. Because when you show up and you, you screwed up and you've sinned, the devil wants you to feel terrible about yourself, wants you to feel stuck. The Lord wants to free you from that. Confession is also not just centered around how to fix your life. It is not, you don't say confession so that you just can be better as a person. That's not the point. The point is that so you're acknowledging your need for a savior. If you confess and every time you had a self-help step, you create then legalism. You create this idea that, well, if I just do these things, I'll feel better about myself. And if I don't do these things... And that's not how confession works. And then lastly, confession is not justifying why you have did what you've done. It's not about, well, you know, I was tired, and well, so-and-so was really bothering me, and, you know, and I just, I I said something. And it's not about justification. Uh, It's not the point, because you justifying yourselves is just not going to be in a good place. And so as we turn to James 5, there's three components of confession that I want to center on, and then I want to talk about how this applies to our lives uh, today and in the future. The first is that the best element of confession um, is, is just simply acknowledging this before God and someone else, acknowledging sin or fear before God and someone else. Now, you're in James 5, which I'm going to get there in a second, but probably the best story for this is uh, Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son, and uh, this, this son has, took his father's wealth, basically cursed his family name, runs off to Las Vegas, spends all his money for a few days, is working with pigs in the muck and mire and thinks, man, I like totally messed up. I'm out of money. This is not good. Maybe my, my dad will take me back at like the lowest paying grade level and I can be better than I am right now eating muck with pigs, right? And so he, he, he realizes that, he repents, he turns away from his life and he goes back to the father. And there's this phrase in verse 18. He says, I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And then he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, this is unique. This is a moment of, of utter repentance. And some of us have to hit rock bottom to get there. Some of us have to spend all our money in Las Vegas and realize, man, this was not what I thought it would be. Or in that story, a famine hits, which is something that you can't predict, right? And it just destroys your house or your life or whatever, right? Whatever storm you want to imagine hits you that you weren't planning for. And you hit rock bottom and you think, man, I just this is not the way that I need to live and that I want to live and I want to turn from this, right? 
if you follow Jesus, you've had that moment where you've realized, man, I can't do this on my own. I want a Savior. I want a Lord that, that can actually free me from this because I can't do it on my own. And that's the moment of repentance. The problem is, is that getting to that point and acknowledging that before the Lord is, is not a, a positive emotional experience. What I mean by that is in the moment of you doing that, you're, nobody's like, whoop, going to go to confession today. Whoop, do, 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 right? No one's like pumped. And in that moment, you're not excited. You're not happy. You're not like, can't wait to do this today. Looking forward to this after work. Going to go talk about how I was a jerk to all my friends. Like no one wants to say that, right? And, and so the start of it is, is ne- it has negative feelings. What I mean by negative feelings is things like sadness, despair, anger, anxiety, fear. All these things that the world tells you, do everything you can to not feel those things, right? Numb yourself. Distract yourself. Act like it's not there, right? All these different components. We don't want to sit in that. And I love what John Mitchell says. He says, honest confession includes a sorrow for what we have done and a desire to do what is right. I love how he uses the word sorrow. What if Christians actually embraced sorrow? Now you think, well, that, that'd be weird. You know, like if we just were like, you came in today and someone's at the door and they're like, hi, welcome, glad you're here. I'm just sorrow filled. You know, you'd be like, this place is weird. Let's get out of here, you know. It, but it's the truth. Like, Christians should be the most in tune with their emotional experience because their emotional experience is importantly at play with how you follow Jesus, including negative emotions. Sorrow, pain, fear, anxiety, right? All of these things. And, and acknowledging those is a part of that. And so the reason why people hate confession, the reason why people don't want to do it with other people or even be honest before God is because they have to acknowledge the fact that it is filled with hardship and sorrow. You've done something wrong. It doesn't feel good. You don't, your, your quarterly eval at work, if like you did all these things wrong, you're not like, great, feel great about that. That's good. No, you feel a weight. You feel this tension. And a lot of times we don't want to feel that, so we isolate, we downplay, we numb, we distract. But the thing is, is when I said the main point of confession is freedom and it is joy, but it takes time. You might not feel it right away, but going into the moment and not being afraid and stepping into sorrow is one of the most important things we can do. The second part of confession is it is a request for forgiveness, healing, and freedom from sin to God and to others now. Sometimes you've sinned against someone specifically. Sometimes it's just God in general. Sometimes it's both, right? But the, the, both aspects are really important. When, when uh, the prodigal son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, he's talking about sinning against the reality of God's heaven, the reality of what God wants for his people. I've sinned against that, that community, that world, that heaven, and against you and your ideal. What's funny is he definitely sinned against his father, too. He basically cursed him at the beginning of the story, and he'll, he'll get to that. I imagine that his repentant heart will get to that point. But he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he says, treat me like one of your hired workers. And I think about this. I think about the heart of, of seeking out forgiveness and healing and freedom. And a lot of times the reason why it's so hard for us is because we can't imagine a point after that where that person or God will, will see us the same. What I mean by that is like if you really screwed up in your marriage and you're hiding something that's deeply bad for your marriage and your relationship and you, you visually think, okay, like how would this go if I told them? Or maybe even worse, they caught me. How would this go? You, you think about it happening, and then from there, it's just bad, right? It's just bad. You're like, oh, they're going to be so mad at me. They're going to cry. They're going to be disappointed. Maybe they're going to divorce me. Maybe we're not going to talk. Maybe we're going to move out. You know, all of these things, right? And you just start to play them in your head. And you, it's just bad. 
And so then you hide it, right, as if that will get better or you'll never be caught. Or that whole time you're just living in you know, infidelity because you're not being honest with your spouse. But in that moment, though, in those moments, it's far easier to imagine the bad of what will happen because we don't think that we deserve the grace. And so when we, we do the same thing with God, we say, well, I don't really want to bring these things before you because I, will God really love me? Or will he be just super disappointed and, and, and love me conditionally like my dad did or like my, my husband did? or like Right? And you, you're nervous about this. But God, in this moment and in this story, this, this son comes back and he thinks, well, maybe he'll let me even just be a servant at the lowest level of his job. And what does the father do? The father embraces, he runs after him, he hugs him, he immediately puts a ring on his finger saying, you're my son. You've never not been my son. And in the same way, when we are nervous to confess before the Lord, before others, we have to know that this is the currency of grace, is that we are, we are honest knowing that God will do something in our lives and that we deserve, like, our, our status as sonship is not in question as long as we're willing to go before the Lord and admit what we've done. So I, I just think about this in the story of, of, of the prodigal son and how he thought, maybe, maybe I'll just scrape by as a hired worker. And then the father is like, you're my son. Why would you think otherwise? This is the idea of First uh, 1 John 1, 1.9's promise, and it's just that, um, basically it just says that if you, if you confess your sins, the Lord is faithful and just and will forgive you. And that's a principle that we hold in the idea of confession and sin. Um, but as we get to James 5, and I want to talk about this, this verse that we talked about a few weeks ago, and it's in verse 16, if you're there. It says, so confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, I talked about the, the difficulty in the meaning of this verse and the translation of like, it sounds like when you confess your sins, you're just not going to have a cold anymore, you know, or your leg won't be broken, or, right? It's not necessarily getting at that. But the, the context of what it's communicating is that there's this sense of holding back part of yourself from a community of people. It's the idea that when you are not fully honest with people, that you are not allowed to experience true healing and freedom in the way that would be being fully known in a community. Now, does that mean you come up here and you just tell everyone your stuff? Maybe not, right? Maybe that's not appropriate with 100 people. But this, this passage and what James is getting at, and I've already kind of taught on this, so I don't want to be a broken record, is the idea, though, that confessing to others makes it real not only before ourselves but before the Lord, and that is when the work of healing and restoration takes place. I think about the, the prodigal son when he came home. The healing and restoration that takes place is when the father comes out to him, puts a cloak on him, right, gives him shoes, a ring, and he's immediately healing his sin and sorrow and, and the hardship that he had faced. Um, I love this, this quote that Charles Ryrie says. He says, The remedy for believers' sin may be stated in one word, confess. This does not mean to merely mouth or recite the sins, it means to see those sins as God sees them. That will surely bring repentance and earnest desire to change. Now, I've talked about how when you confess, the point is not then what you get out of it. But the third part that is important to confession, which gives you the, the depth of it, is your intention of the future. The third part is the intention of the future. Just think about this really, really briefly. If, let's say, you have a meeting signed up for someone, you're going to have a lunch with a friend, whatever, and you get there and they totally don't show up, and they bail, and whatever, for whatever reason they forgot. You go back to work, they text you, they say, hey, sorry I missed the meeting. You're like, okay, but why? You know, like, you're just like, okay, I guess you said sorry, so I guess I have to forgive you. Like, is that how that works? And you in marriage, you know that that's not how that works, just because you say sorry, right? 
you said sorry, uh, come on. It's, 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 it, would, it would be terrible. You'd be like, this friend is not good, right? Like, they just said, hey, sorry, I missed. And that was it. He's like, okay, cool, I guess you're in the hospital, or who knows, we got in a car accident, I don't know, or you just slept through the alarm, whatever. But the deeper way of confessing would be, hey, I'm so sorry I forgot. Will you forgive me? I really prioritize our relationship. I messed up. I want to do better in the future. I want to value this. And maybe I need to move some things in my life to have more margin so I can, I can show importance in this, right? Do you see the difference? Both of them are acknowledging I didn't do right. But one of them is not good. It's not, it's not because it's not truly desiring change. It's not truly acknowledging the weight of what you have done. And that's why an important process of confession, and, and one of the uh, scholars said is, or Ryrie said is, seeing sins as God sees them, meaning that we acknowledge what, why this actually matters. And in doing that, we have the ability to take a deeper desire and intention for change. Now, intention for change, we've got to be careful because that does not mean, oh, I just won't do it again, and you know, I'll just set up these 12 habits to like, not do that again, and I'll fix my life. That's not how that works. You and I both know that. There is, we are, some of us are chronic like pattern sinners. The same thing will happen over and over and over again, and it's the worst because people will start to think, like, yeah, it's just going to happen again, and, and it affects our relationship, right? But the intention to change does not mean that you just will muscle up and be better. The point of it is that I have acknowledged what I've done. I have acknowledged a greater now need for a savior who, who can help me because I can't do this on my own. And that is the deep point of confession is that from it, it creates a stirring in our heart for an intention of change and transformation. The reason why confession matters is because without confession, there can be no transformation because transformation is God doing something in your heart. And if you're not willing to share it or to acknowledge it, Nothing can be changed. And you just find a way to hide or build facades. And so I want to wrap up with this story. Um, when we had planted this church, this has been a long time coming. And believe it or not, I'm not that old, but it was in my brain for a long time. Uh, when I was <clears throat> 21 in college, in my um, undergrad last semester, senior year, I created a project that was a church plant model. It was a hybridized model of missional living in church. And you go before a panel, and they they rip it apart, and you defend it, and all that. And it went really well. And I thought, man, maybe I could do this. Maybe I should do this. And then, like, the, the, you know, the mentors were like, no, nah, maybe you should, like, go into ministry first and, like, actually do ministry and then see how all this works. So, again, I, you know, I decided, okay, maybe they're right. So I, I became a youth pastor. I moved out to Tucson, Arizona, and I just sort of, like, put that vision or dream, whatever, in, in the side and just did youth ministry and, and learn and grow, and it was great. Three and a half years later, we started to ceiling my wife and I and think, man, maybe this thing is coming back up. It was like a whack-a-mole that was coming back up. And at the time, I was getting my master's in church planning, and so my thinking was just all around church planning. And then in my master's project, I had to create another church plan as my senior project in my master's. And so I created another church plan that's currently in Boise, uh, uh, Boise Idaho. So there, I didn't do it, but if we ever want to move to Boise, let me know, because I got it all lined up, right? Uh, but I created that, and uh, like I critiqued it went well, right? And then we're like, I think we, could, I think we should do this. I think God's calling us to do this. And so we, we went around and tried to find church planning networks. Long story short, we found Movement Churches Network in Columbus that we're a part of now. I'm in this year residency preparing to plant this very church. And all this stuff is like, I'm just kind of putting it all together. I'm like assembling some sort of like mega, uh, what's the Power Rangers do when they all like unite together, right? Is that right? They like create some mega thing? I don't know. Yeah. What? Mega, 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 mega. mega. 
Megazord, yeah, like that, yeah. So, <laughs> got him, got him. Yeah, I knew you were in here, Power Ranger fans. Uh, yeah, I don't know what a Megazord is, no idea. Anyways, you're sitting in a Megazord, no. Uh, so I just put all this together, and then as I started to develop an understanding of a discipleship pathway and all the ways we do community, all that kind of stuff, I was, I was shocked at how I looked everywhere, and I couldn't find a good, healthy church that was doing confession. I couldn't find it. I couldn't read about it. None of the church planners were like, yeah, and then we started a culture of confession. It was great. I couldn't find it in history books. I had to go the whole way back to the time when horseback was the common mode of travel, and this was in the 1700s. And I met a guy named John Wesley, who maybe you've heard of, basically is the forefather of Methodism, Methodists, Wesleyans, um, though he probably wouldn't be happy with what they're doing now. But he started that. Basically, his lifestyle started that, okay? I started reading about it, and I re read upon this thing, and I kid you not, this is just funny history if you're a history nerd. This is 1729. He started this, uh, this group of people that was small, I would call it a small group. Now, in, this, in the 1700s, a small group, can you imagine? They're like, hey, how was your farming today? You're like, great, you're going to go to my small group tonight. You know, like, <laughs> wasn't a thing, right? It just wasn't a thing. But John Wesley, like, basically created the OG small group. He did, in 1729. And here's the thing is, people made fun of it. They started to call it the Holy Club. That's what they called it. And uh, they were like, good for you, whatever. You know, they didn't care. And, and uh, I don't have time to read the eight, eight people that were guys that were in it, but they are like the juggernauts of the faith at the time. I mean, like some of the best preachers, all that. It was, a, it was legit. This small group really did some stuff. But what they did is they met three to four times a week. They would pray, examine each other's spiritual lives, confess, study the Bible, take in poor families, visited lonely people in prison, taught orphans how to read, fasted two days a week, all these type of things, right? But what caught my eye the most was what is called the 22 questions of the Holy Club, which if you're in, if you're in our office here, I have it framed, the 22 questions. I'm going to read them very fast. But these are the 22 questions they would ask every single time they met. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Am I honest in all my acts and words, or do I exaggerate? Do I confidently pass on to others what has been said to me in confidence? Can I be trusted? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Did the Bible live in me today? Do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Am I enjoying prayer? When did I last speak to someone else of my faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? Do I go to bed on time and get up on time? Do I disobey God in anything? Do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? How do I spend my spare time? Am I proud? Do I thank God that I am not as other people, especially as the Pharisees who, who despise the publishing? That's a passage they're referring to in the Bible. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment toward, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Number 21, do I grumble or complain constantly? And last, is Christ real to me? Now imagine answering those three to four times a week, right? Now, if you don't know, if you're in a core group, a lot of the questions you ask are modeled after that. If you didn't realize that, they probably sounded a little bit familiar. Um, but I, I'm way over time, and so I want to I sum this up as best I can. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls other Christians in one's community back from the path of sin. 
So here's, here's the practical, here's what to do. Here's what we always offer. You know, we offer some sort of practical aspect of what we're talking about here. There's two things. One is confession today. Two is confession in community for the long haul. This is pretty simple. Confession today, confession. That's the point of community. If you want to be in a real community, confession has to be a part of it. Or it's not a real community. It's just a facade of people trying to act great, which you know is just exhausting and fake and, and at times just frustrating. And the point of, of all of this is, is creating deep community and experiencing freedom in Christ, right? Transformation that we're talking about, and it will happen. Now, I love what Bonhoeffer says about community. He says that those who love their dream of community will surely kill it. Those who genuinely love those around them will find community. And we've talked about this a lot, the idea of you have an, ideal, an idealism of community, and then you actually are with people, and it doesn't match that. And how you engaging with that is actually far more powerful than just trying to find this perfect thing that you want that doesn't exist. And confession, in the same way, reminds us of that because we're entering into a situation broken. And so what I want to do to close this time is we have a time of formation we offer every Sunday. And we usually have four things that you can do. There's a prayer team that would love to pray for you. You can reflect on anything we talked about uh, or the stories. Give you some space to think about that. Um, giving and bringing. We have a box in the back. You can place cash and checks, be a part of uh, bringing back to the Lord what is his. And then we always have bread and cup, which is the reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us because we are sinners. Now, what I want to uniquely focus on uh, in this time that we don't typically do is, is confession. And uh, before you get stressed out, the way I want to do this is uh, unique. We have people who are on the prayer team who did not know they're signing up for this. Um, but they are going to be in the back. I'll be in the front, and if you feel a burden in a sense of, like, I need to confess something, whether it's a fear, a sin, you've wronged someone, and you just need to verbalize it, we are here for you. It is no judgment. We're not going to share it with anyone. The prayer team's not going to put it on the prayer slack. It is completely between you, and they're going to pray for you and the Lord. I'll be up here as well. And, and here's, what I, here's the point of this. When you, when you verbalize it with someone else, it becomes real. You can play games in your head, and you can act like it's not a big deal, and all those type of things, but once you are able to bring it before someone else in the Lord, it becomes real, and then the real healing and work can be done. And so if you felt any tension in this and what I've said, and we're going to give you a moment to kind of process, I just encourage you to, 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 to go seek one of them or myself. Or if your core group is here and you want to go to one of them, or maybe you're new and you're like, I don't even know who to go to, you could be bold and tell the person beside you, or you can come up to one of us. We're here for you. And we want this to be a community that cares deeply about confession and being in community and being honest. Because I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of fake people and fake, like, church. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, it's just dumb. I don't know. So let's just, we're all broken, right? Like, let's just be honest. Sarah and I at the conference, had a, they had a moment of confession, and I went up, and Sarah confessed. And it was just like, yeah, we're just broken people just trying to follow our Savior and do it together. So I'm going to give us a moment um, of just listening for the Spirit, and then we're going to have time. You can partake in any of this, and we'll sing one more song in worship. So if you would, if you're comfortable, I'd just encourage you to put out your hands. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, would you convict us? of the ways in which we have not hit God's ideal 
Would you give us the courage and the boldness to acknowledge that before you and before someone else as we seek freedom and healing? Would you speak to us about what that is in this moment? Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.